Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show around the nation. I, I Just a, a housekeeping note real quick. We're two days away. If you follow me on Spotify or Apple Music at EW Erickson, you will be able to find the, the, the final list of music I put in the Good Friday Show. If you have no idea what the Good Friday Show is, man, some of, some of you are... Y'all are in for something on Friday. I don't know whether you'll like it or not. Uh, every year on Friday. So let, let, I, I realize I should be starting with the news and there is news. Just bear with me. Let me get this out of the way. Um, tell your family and tell your friends. On whatever station you're listening to me on right now, on Friday, come worship with me. Uh, open invitation to you all. Come worship with me on Friday. It, it's, it's not what you expect in conservative talk radio. I do it every year. The first year I did this on my local show in Atlanta, uh, management was horrified that I had done what I did uh, with a a three-hour program on Good Friday, and it wound up being one of the most requested programs the station ever did. And um, by Monday when I came into the office, uh, there was an expectation that I would do it every year thereafter. So not only on Friday – Will I do a 9 to noon show on Good Friday? I will do a 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. completely different show on the same topic on a different set of radio stations that are not my own uh, stations, uh, but my my evening show in Atlanta has several other stations tied to it, and we'll be doing it for them. It, it has kind of become a thing. Some of you won't like it. Some of you will. Um, it is it's different. It is not pol- it is not politics. Uh, but I want you to, you can't go to church on good Friday and you can't go to church on Easter. So you might as well tune in here and remember, by the way, wherever you are, if you've got Siri, Alexa, or Google, uh, and the little speaker devices at home, you can tell them to listen to the station, uh, whatever station it is, uh, tell them, listen to the call letters of the station and they'll be able to get it. Uh, I, so many of you are stuck from home right now. Don't forget your smart speaker, your Alexa, your your Apple HomePod, your iPhone, your iPad, even your Apple laptop or your Android device can listen to your radio station at home while you're cooped up, not just while you're driving about. And unlike your podcast, we give you current, accurate news, weather, traffic, everything you need. Uh, so make sure you're tuning in. Now, I, we've got a number of headlines that we need to get to this morning, and I want to begin uh, with one, and this goes into my my piece that I wrote this morning. So during Holy Week, I refuse to write about politics. I, I got five hours on the radio every day, so I can get it all off my chest anyway, but I, I, I have to be more focused when I write to a degree and more disciplined in how I write. And I will not write about politics during Holy Week. And it's killing me this week. There's so much to write about. Court decisions and everything else. And, and I, I can't. I, I refuse. And it, it forces me to think about the world in a different way. And that's why I do it. It makes me recalibrate. This is my week of of cleanse, if you will, mental cleanse, uh, by by being able to to step away from the raw politics in my writing and focus on the really important things that matter in life, uh, which are bigger than politics. But there is this trend in religion these days that applies to what's happening right now with this virus. And, and I did weave them together this morning in my morning email that I send out. I send out a morning email every day, most days, I should say. If you want to get a copy of it, uh, text the word data to 33777. 
in addition to all the 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 you'll find you'll go to a link and in addition to all the other stuff you'll see there about the virus and how to apply you'll see a link to first liberty if you need the payroll protection program uh and by the way i might as well designate them this hour first liberty sponsoring the show if you need to get into the payroll protection program for your employees, go to First Liberty of Georgia. They're local. They make their own decisions. Then they're not a big bank bureaucracy, so they're more nimble. And so they can get you into the program quicker than a big bank probably can. Uh, but you got to go to firstlibertyga.com. If you want their phone number, go to uh, text the word data to 33777. There's no reason for you. If you've got 500 employees or less, there's no reason not to get into the payroll protection program. Uh, so text the word data to 33777. There's a link to First Liberty, and you can go uh, get business from them. I, I highly recommend. Tell them I sent you. Give me the credit. Tell them I sent you. But they're good people. They really are the Frost family, active in Georgia politics, and it doesn't matter where you're listening in the nation. They can help you. I highly recommend First Liberty of Georgia. Uh, but you can get all this data there. You can also get my daily email. You can just subscribe. It, it's a website, ewerickson.substack.com. And the point I made in the in the newsletter this morning is that one of the things we see in religion, particularly Christianity these days, and particularly when it comes to the culture war, whether it's transgenderism, gay marriage, whether homosexuality is a sin or not, is people start with their premise. Christianity justifies X. You pick the vice, pick the sin, Christianity justifies it. And then they work their way backwards and they, they twist everything around to try to get to precisely the outcome they already wanted. It's very much like the atheist scholars who say the resurrection didn't happen. And they, they start from that premise and then they work their way backwards. And guess what they're going to find? Actually, you know, the most amazing thing about this are the number of people who start from that premise and work their way backwards and convert. Uh, that, that's just another indication to me that the whole thing is real. Uh, the number of Muslim scholars I know who uh, tried to debunk Christianity and wound up converting to Christianity and then had to flee for their lives uh, is, is actually staggering. The number of people in the Middle East who have dreams of Jesus and, and become Christians. It's, it's amazing when you read these stories. Um, what is it? Um, Koresh Nabili, uh, who died recently, a wonderful, wonderful human being. Uh, that's how he got there. Uh, and then he wound up working for Ravi Zacharias and becoming a great Christian apologist to the Muslim world. In, in any event, people, they start from their preconceived notion and they work their way backwards. And we're seeing this with a lot of people on the right. And I want to caution you against this. And I've made several actual good friends of mine really mad this morning by pointing out what they're doing. And, and I, I've already gotten an angry message from a friend of mine um, who, who thinks I'm disrespecting him. And it's not my intention to, but it is my intention to point something out. There is this movement among some of my conservative friends now to say, we've got to get the economy open today. And what they're doing is they're working from that point and they're working their way backward. And where they've gotten now is that the experts are doing it all wrong. The keyboard warriors are Googling and doing it right, and the experts who do this on a daily basis are doing it wrong. And that's always dangerous. It's very much like, so Matthew Vines is a gay rights activist, and he wrote a book about uh, God and homosexuality. I, I think that was actually the name of his book, or, or God and, and, and anyway. What, what Matthew Vines essentially did is he started from the premise that, uh, that everybody's been interpreting uh, the New Testament wrong, uh, and that the New Testament really doesn't reaffirm the Old Testament standards on on sexual ethic. And guess what he found? That he, he actually started from the premise that the New Testament didn't actually affirm the Old Testament on sexual ethic. And by God, he wrote an entire book proving he was right. 
Um, to do that, he had to dismiss 2,000 years of, of Christian theologians on the left and the right. He had to dismiss the Christian liberal theologians like David Gushy, who works at Mercer, uh, who he, he, even he said, you know what, uh, you, you can't reconcile these two things. Christianity is going to have to change, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yep, 2,000-year-old religion that's been consistent. Oh, we got to change it now because people these days, it's all about being happy. It's all about affirming people where they are. No, does it, does it, doesn't really, does, doesn't really uh, work. But we're seeing that with people on the right now that uh, forget all of the experts, all of the way we've always done data and all the way we've always counted morbidity and comorbidity. We, we now the experts are doing it wrong and the death rate is actually lower. You know, the good news actually is the United States, the death toll in the United States from COVID-19 is actually less than the global average. The global the global percentage, it's not even the global percentage, it's the accurate global number of people who get the disease and die is over 5%. In the United States, it's 3%. In Georgia this morning, it's 3.8%, which is slightly higher than the national rate of death. And that is that this, this new influx. We've had a spike in the number of people who have died overnight in Georgia. Uh, there are in Georgia right now 9,156 cases, 1,899 hospitalizations, 348 deaths. So you've got a 20.7% hospitalization rate, which is actually where everyone in the world basically is. 20% of people who get the virus wind up in the hospital globally. Uh, and this all excludes the China data. And then 348 people have died. That's 3.8%. That's slightly higher than where the nation as a whole is, but uh, more than a full percentage point less than where the world is as a whole. And again, excluding China from the data. Uh, 56 deaths in Doherty County. Overwhelmingly, the deaths are in Doherty County. 39 in Fulton, 26 in Cobb County, uh, 15 in Lee County, 13 in Gwinnett County. And then it goes down from there. Uh, it, pretty much everywhere else has single digit mortality rate. Uh, and there are six unknown. In fact, if, if you want to get just the double-digit mortality rates here, let me give it to you. Uh, Fulton, 1,185 cases, 39 deaths. Doherty, 973 cases, 56 deaths. DeKalb, 673 cases, 11 deaths. Cobb, 566 total, 29 deaths. Gwinnett, 540 total, 13 deaths. Clayton, 278 total, 10 deaths. Lee, 204 total, 15 deaths. Bartow, 191 total, uh, 12 deaths. And then Mitchell, 100 cases and 11 deaths. Everyone else is in single-digit deaths. Now, there are cases that have triple-digit cases, but only um, not a whole lot of deaths. For example, Hall County has 215 cases and zero deaths. And Henry County, 208 cases and three deaths. Carroll County has 183 cases, but only four deaths. Um, so, and, and those numbers will come up, of course, but, uh, right now that's where we are this morning. The numbers will again shift at noon, but what, what I'm seeing is all these people going in and, and they're, they're challenging the underlying experts and they're starting from the premise of, we must get the economy open now. And so how can we prove it's not as bad as the experts claim? And what they've latched onto is, well, you know, they're miscounting. Someone dies of a heart attack and they've got the virus. They're saying that they died of the virus. Someone, this is like saying Jesus didn't actually die of crucifixion. He died of suffocating, which is actually the underlying condition that happens to people who who have, uh, who are crucified. They ultimately, they suffocate on the cross. Um, or it's like saying the person who was shot uh, didn't die of a gunshot wound. He died of a heart attack because he bled out. That's essentially what they're doing now. I, and let me explain the way that this virus works to you. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to not be gruesome. But this is the way the virus works, and I'm not a doctor, but I know how to read. Your lungs are fluff, 
In in fact, doctors would just describe your lungs as essentially the consistency of whipped cream. And as your lungs can get infected with things like pneumonia and stuff, they, they can take on the consistency of cotton candy. And as the infection progresses, they take on the consistency of marshmallows. And ultimately, where things can become very dangerous, they, they take on the consistency of a stale marshmallow. Your lungs should be very much like whipped cream. Your, your lung consists of branches that branch out to other branches, that branch out to other branches, that branch out to other branches, that ultimately have these tiny little air sacs that hold the air. And what COVID-19 does is it gets into the little air sacs and it begins to fill them with pus and the pus begins to harden those air sacs. And so the air sacs, which are like little bitty bubbles within the whipped cream, begin to harden, which makes it hard for the blood to get into the air sacs to get the oxygen out into your blood system. So do you know what the overwhelming number one cause of death is from COVID-19? No, it's not suffocation. It's heart attack. It's heart attack. What happens is people, their blood, their blood system is deprived of oxygen. And so they have a heart attack and they die. Uh, and there are people out there today on the right saying we're, we're miscounting all these heart attacks as COVID-19 deaths. People are dying of heart attacks. And, and the experts, Dr. Burks in the White House is like, well, we're, we're counting all the heart attacks as COVID-19. And they're supposed to do that because you're, you're dying of heart attack. Do you know that within a week, doctors are beginning to caution now when you leave the, if you've been hospitalized for COVID-19 and you leave, they're seeing more and more people within a week of leaving the hospital having heart attacks because your hearts are straining under the lack of oxygen. Now, I want you to contrast the, these two stories. You've got a lot of, you, you've, and I've, there are dear friends of mine. I'm not going to name and shame them. They're good friends. I don't want to pick fights with them, even though I, I apparently have. And they're saying that we're miscounting this, that, that someone dies of lung cancer and they have COVID-19, well, they die of lung cancer. And, and I get that, but it's not like we haven't been doing this for hundreds of years when it comes to determining the primary cause of death. Doctors are smart enough to determine what your primary cause of death is. Is it the virus or is it the cancer? Would you have lived with the lung cancer but for the virus? And if the answer is no, then it's the virus that killed you. So here's, here's the thing. Contrast the stories you're now beginning to hear from some of my friends on the right who are saying that and it sounds so weird for me to be criticizing friends of mine on the right when I'm on the right too. And I'm just, I'm, I'm frustrated with the people who, this is the, the president of the United States is on your side. He is a Republican and you're essentially trying to undermine his presidency uh, by peddling this stuff. Listen to this. This is from Gothamist. If you die at home from the coronavirus, there's a good chance you won't be included in the official death toll because of a discrepancy in the New York City reporting process. The problem is that if you die at home without having a COVID-19 test of a heart attack, which is the primary killer of people with COVID-19, you will be classified as having a heart attack, not of dying of the virus. It means victims without access to testing are not being counted, and even epidemiologists are left without a full understanding of the pandemic. And this may explain why globally we're seeing a 5% mortality rate, but in the United States, only a 3% mortality rate. 
according to Dr. Somebody Worthy, Asia Worthy Davis, a spokeswoman for the medical examiner's office, if someone dies at home and we go to the home and there are signs of influenza, our medical examiner may determine the cause of death was clearly an influenza-like illness, potentially COVID or an influenza-like illness believed to be COVID. We report all our deaths citywide, but the health department does not include the number in the official count unless it was confirmed. Every person with a lab-confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis is counted in the number of fatalities. Now, since this happened, since this report came out, um, they have now reversed their position overnight. But here's the striking thing. The Fire Department of New York says it responded to 2,192 cases of deaths at home between March 20th and April 5th, about 130 cases a day. That's a 400% increase from the same time last year. In 2019, there were 453 cardiac arrest calls where a patient died. The number's been increasing since March 30th, with 241 New Yorkers dying at home Sunday, more than the number of confirmed COVID-19 deaths that occurred citywide that day. On Monday night, the city reported 266 new deaths, suggesting the possibility of a 40% undercount of coronavirus-related deaths. It is in striking juxtaposition, honestly, between so many people out there trying to say the deaths are actually lower, we should all go back to work, and what's actually happening on the ground. And I, I just, I would caution everyone, we we should not be, because of our preconceived notions and what we want, we should not be working backward to twist the data to try to confirm conform to where we want the data to take us. It really is a bit alarming to see how both sides are so willing to twist the facts to conform to what they want. Uh, in, in, and I, we got to spend some actual time on this issue when we come back. I'll, I'm happy to take your phone calls too. I know some people are mad at me for for what I said to start the show. Um, the, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Um, the left is upset about a, a Supreme Court decision yesterday that allowed the Wisconsin Democratic primary to move forward, the Wisconsin primary elections to move forward. And it, it, what's so amazing to me is how so many people on the left say Donald Trump's an authoritarian. Do, do, orange man, bad. And yet they're so willing to do a, um, they're so willing to do an, uh, a handover of power to judges to change things they don't like. Who, who's the authoritarian? Donald Trump, whose power is constrained, he can't even order a nationwide shutdown. Or the judges who can order nationwide injunctions to shut down functions of, of government. Who is who is the real um, authoritarian here? The, the left that is upset that the Supreme Court uh, looked at the law and applied the law? Or, or the right that, uh, you know, the Wisconsin General Assembly didn't want to come meet because they didn't want to, they, they didn't want to get the virus. They didn't, look at what happened to the Georgia General Assembly, for God's sakes. The governor of the state of Wisconsin could have delayed the election in Wisconsin, but he refused to delay the election in Wisconsin until the very last minute. And then judges in Wisconsin said, wait a second, you waited too long. You can't stop an election that's going to happen tomorrow. People are already on notice. People have already casted ballots. And so what they tried to do, what the left tried to do is go to court and get the deadline for absentee ballots extended. 
so that more people could hand in the absentee ballots. And guess what? Didn't work. Uh, the, the Supreme Court said no, that the, the law is the law. The law in Wisconsin sets a deadline by which absentee ballots should be counted. It is unfair to now suddenly extend that deadline when, when people have had plenty of opportunity to get those absentee ballots in. And now the left is like, well, we should have mail-in vote nationwide. You know, this is the new Stacey Abrams thing. We should have mail-in vote. Do people not understand? You can mail in a ballot. The president of the United States talked about this yesterday. He can mail in a ballot. You can mail in a ballot. You can get an absentee ballot. Um, we, we should discuss the difference between mail-in elections and absentee ballots when we come back. And we're back. It is Eric Erickson here. I want to thank Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. You should go to mrsgriffins.com. Uh, they are the nation's oldest uh, produced barbecue sauce. They are produced here in Georgia. They are a mustard-based barbecue sauce, if you must know. They are quite tasty. You can buy two, get one for free right now. You know you can go to your local Walmart, Piggly Wiggly, Winn-Dixie, uh, all over uh, grocery stores across Georgia, uh, particularly uh, Macon and North. They're everywhere. Uh, regularly used in our house as well. They actually are used in our house. So uh, check them out, mrsgriffins.com. If you're outside the state of Georgia listening or watching now on, on Facebook Live or elsewhere, you can go to that website as well and try it. it it's actually a really good barbecue sauce. We use it regularly in our house. I was kind of cool uh, kind of cool that they stepped up and wanted to sponsor the show. And I'm like, I already use you guys. Um, so now uh, I want to go to Steve in Palm City, Florida calling. Steve, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Great to be with you today. A couple Thank of you. quick uh, things for you. I'd love to hear your feedback on this. John Fund wrote an excellent article in National Review on April the 6th entitled, Has Sweden Found the Right Solution to the Coronavirus? And he was talking about how they have avoided both isolation and economic ruin by not quarantining the healthy, but isolating rightly the elderly and the most vulnerable. Uh, as a follow-up to that as well, Britt Hume, Mark Levin, commented here yesterday that it was confirmed by Dr. Books, Burks, pardon me, that she has said that the COVID-19 virus, no matter what anyone dies with in the U.S. right now, regardless of what else may be wrong, heart condition, lung issue, pre-existing kind of conditions, that they are now being recorded as a COVID-19 death, even though it wasn't the virus that took their life. Would be very interested in your thoughts. Thank you for taking my questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, so two things. Uh, First of all, I've talked about the Sweden thing, and it has been fascinating. There have been a number of global articles on Sweden. Uh, But, you know, the the managing editor of National Review followed up yesterday with a piece uh, on the fund one. And I I don't want to dispute what John Fund is saying. Uh, but the 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 key takeaway I think from from uh, Ted Kupfer, who's the managing editor now at National Review, and then Fraser Nelson writing in the Telegraph in the UK, is that it's actually probably too soon to tell in Sweden. Um, the Swedes, for reasons no one really understands, didn't get their first COVID nineteen cases until several weeks after a lot of their neighbors did. And part of that, they think, is a change in air travel behavior in Scandinavia. Uh, There were a lot of flights uh, that were not going into Sweden from China at the time that were going into other places. Uh, And what we're seeing now is that their death rate in Sweden is now per capita 
exceeding the death rate of Norway, Finland, and Denmark that went on lockdown, which wasn't the case last week. It's only been in the last, uh, since the weekend, that we're suddenly seeing the shift, the spike in deaths in Sweden, to the point now that Parliament has actually come back into session in Sweden, and they're debating giving the Prime Minister the power to unilaterally shut down schools and, and engage in more isolation, uh, because they haven't been doing that. Uh, they've been keeping everyone distant, but they haven't been banning gatherings. So it looks like the Swedes are, are starting to see a data shift. Uh, in fact, they've seen their number of cases double in 24 hours, uh, which is suggesting that they are starting now to see what everyone else has seen and that the issue was that it was later, uh, got there later. Uh, so we, time will tell. I, I think it's too soon to say. And the fact that the Swedes are now contemplating changing their model to what we're doing and what their neighbors have done probably is an indication they're thinking it may not work ultimately. Uh, but it is an interesting experiment, and, and we shouldn't dismiss this. Uh, maybe they have done something right. Uh, it's just too soon to tell, given that the virus started spreading in Sweden later than it did in similarly situated countries. Also, there's like a 10 million person population there. A more accurate comparison would probably be Switzerland where the Swiss saw it, it just run rampant in the country and had to shut it all down. And now their death toll per day is less than Sweden's, uh, or per capita, I should say, per capita. The other issue is on Dr. Burks, and you're right, and this is what Brit Hume and Mark Levin and others are latching on to. Dr. Burks said that if, you have the, if you've got the virus, but you've got underlying comorbidities and you die of, you've got heart ailments and you die of a heart attack and you've got the virus, they're saying you died of the virus. Or you got lung cancer and you die of lung cancer, but you've got the virus. We're going to say you die of the virus. This is kind of what I was getting to. Um, how do you say you're dying of the virus or you're dying of, of lung cancer? And the ultimate issue is, would you, but for the virus, still be alive? And overwhelmingly, the issue is you would still be alive. So, for example, they're not actually counting, and, and this is what they miss is she's gone back and clarified this, and this is important. This needed to be clarified. It has been clarified, and all the people who were highlighting her previous remarks are not highlighting her follow-up remarks, is that if you are terminal cancer and it is fundamentally your cancer, your, your body is shutting down from the cancer, and then you get infected with COVID-19, you test positive for COVID-19, they're not saying COVID-19 killed you. They are saying the cancer killed you. But if you've got lung cancer, your your body is not shutting down because of the cancer. You get COVID-19 and, and your lungs are filling up. You're getting pneumonia-like symptoms. They're saying you, you died of COVID-19. And the problem is it is hard to separate out. But what I would tell you is that there's actually more evidence that we're undercounting people who are dying of COVID-19. The, the story I just talked about from Gothamus that there's been a 400% increase in people at home in New York City dying of heart attacks in the past three weeks. Now, the number one cause of death from COVID-19 is a heart attack. And the reason is, as I explained in the first half of the hour, the reason is because what COVID-19 does, uh, it gives you a pneumonia. And the pneumonia, your lung sac, air sacs fill up with pus. The oxygen cannot flow into your blood, and you subsequently have cascading effects that ultimately cause a heart attack. In fact, a number of people who are going home from the hospital, doctors are cautioning people who leave the hospital being cleared of COVID-19 that you could have a heart attack within a week of leaving the hospital. There are a number of people who have left the hospital, particularly in New York City, who are discharged, who then fall over dead of a heart attack, and they're saying this person died of the virus, not the heart attack. Why? Because they wouldn't have had the heart attack but for the virus. It's a chicken and egg uh, argument, essentially, and they're going with the virus. Now, there are some countries that are being much tighter in this. 
But why do you think, and, and this is part of the problem here of how do you do this, and this is why I, I fall in the camp of trust the American experts, because do you know what China is doing? Do you know why the Chinese death rate is so low? Because China's doing what a lot of these people are advocating. It, it's kind of funny that we can't trust China. There's a rest, there's a report out on a conservative side. I'm not going to give the name today that says the pandemic is over because the Chinese say so. So we can go back to work. And this is this is an organization that also has another article on how we can't believe anything China says. So in one article on this conservative website, they're saying you can't believe anything China says. And the next article over is China says the pandemic is over and we should be able to go back to work here because they their their numbers weren't that bad. The problem is that a lot of the people who are advocating this model are doing exactly what China did. Uh, the Chinese are not, if you are a smoker in China and you get COVID-19 and die, according to Radio Free Asia from various doctors they've interviewed in China, what the Chinese are doing is they're classifying you of dying of smoking-related illness. They're not classifying you as dying of COVID-19. Even though you have COVID-19, even though you would be alive without COVID-19, the Chinese are saying, but because you smoked, you died of a smoking-related illness, not because of COVID-19. And that's essentially what they want to do here is, yes, Dr. Burks said what she said. Dr. Burks followed up to explain what she meant was that, yes, it is sometimes hard to tell what someone died of. And if they have COVID-19, given COVID-19's impact on comorbidities, they're classifying it as COVID-19 in situations where they cannot tell that but for the virus you would be alive. But overwhelmingly, they can tell but for the virus, would you be alive or dead? Uh, would you have a, had a heart attack? You've got heart disease, but would you have died of heart disease but for COVID-19? They can generally tell that, and, and they are making those educated guesses. They've always done that. Even with the flu, they do that with the flu. They do that with other things. It's not like the experts don't know how to do their job. What amazes me is, is you've got conservative pundits right now who are so desperate to get the country back to work. Uh, they want to ignore all the doctors. They want to ignore all the advice. And, and what they're doing is they're essentially saying the president should ignore his advisors. And the president is not ignoring his advisors. So are they saying the president's too dumb? Because I, I actually don't buy the argument that the president's dumb. But that seems to be the argument some of the president's supporters are saying. They don't want to say he's dumb, uh, but they want to say he's being bamboozled by his experts. That That's pretty much the same thing. I, I trust the president and his advisors here. I don't trust the keyboard warriors and, and my friends in the conservative commentariat who are slicing and dicing the remarks of experts to try to get their preordained outcome. And, and that, that's, the, that's the problem here. And I have this problem with the left and the right right now in this country is that both sides want to get to foreordained outcomes and so are working their way backwards to shape the data to fit the outcome they want. And that's not the way you do it. That's not the way any thinking person should live their life. Uh, you should not say, this is what I want. Now, let me look at all of the previous data and shape it to get me to that point. It's like working a, a maze backwards. You're supposed to go into the labyrinth and find your way along the way to get out as opposed to, let me look at the key, see how I, here, here's the exit point, let me trace my way backwards. You don't do it that way. But that's what so many people on the left and right are doing. The The right is doing it to try to justify getting the economy back open. And I get it. And they're not bad people for wanting to do it. I, but neither are the people who want you to stay home right now to avoid spreading the disease. And then the left is trying to do this to upend our democracy, get mail-in voting, uh, and, and undermine the president and everything else. So the most amazing thing to me in this virus, we're in a global pandemic. None of us who are alive right now have ever seen a global pandemic like this. 
the death rate in this country is 3%. And everyone is using this virus to justify all of the things they believed prior to the virus hitting. And that right there to me is troubling because you should be able to come out of this looking at the situation. And if every single thing you believed going into it is true on the other side, then it's you. It's, it's not the pandemic. That's the problem. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm a small government guy. I, I am, I'm a Christian. I believe we're all sinners. I want as few sinners in charge of me as possible. I, I'm a conservative. Uh, I, I'm not a libertarian, but I certainly have libertarian sympathies with the size and scope of the federal government. Uh, and I think deficit spending and debt, they matter greatly. And I'm coming out of this crisis thinking, you know, this was a justifiable case of blowing through the deficit and blowing through the debt caps. It absolutely was. Uh, it needed to be done. It shouldn't have been done. We should have been in a better fiscal position ahead of time so that we didn't have to go where we did. But by God, we needed to do it. And and so lesson learned for me that in times of global pandemic and major national crisis, when people were suddenly seeing a massive spike in unemployment, government intervention probably is more necessary than I would like to admit. But now the socialists out there are looking at the situation and saying, hey, this is a justification for socialism all the time. They, they went into the virus wanting socialism. They see the virus. They see what happens. They totally ignore that the private sector is going to be the one to say this and say, hey, we need less private sector, more public sector. Never mind the government screw ups. And, and that's the other thing. I go into this a, a supporter of the president's but somewhat skeptical of him. And I say, you know, he's actually not doing that bad of a job with this stuff. He actually is letting the experts run things. But there are things he's doing that are wrong. And, and I see the diehard supporters of the president refusing to acknowledge he's done anything wrong. But I also see the critics of the president refusing to acknowledge he's actually done what they wanted him to do. He has relied on the experts. He is letting the experts set policy. He has put the vice president in charge. He is relying on the private sector. He is using government demands on the private sector to get the private sector to do things. But by and large, he's uh, he's working to let the private sector thrive. And he is focused on small business. He's not trying to profit off the situation. And the critics of the president can't can't bring themselves to commend the president any more than the president's supporters can bring themselves to criticize anything he's done. And I personally, at just an, at, at a level, in, I, I realize I, I'm I'm a bad fit sometimes for this because I'm a partisan. I was an elected Republican. I, I I'm supporting the president for re-election, but I just think sometimes you got to be willing to call BS on your own side for the sake of intellectual honesty. And there are too many people on both sides who don't want to do that anymore. They've become so tribal, you can't say, you know what, I was actually wrong on this. No one wants to admit they were wrong on something. And what so many people want to do is they, they have an idea of what they want to do and they want to work backwards to try to justify it. And there's no difference in my mind, there's no difference in my mind between the people saying we need to reopen the economy, so now let me explain why the experts were wrong all the time to justify that we can reopen the economy, than it is the people who want to undermine the authority of Scripture and, and, and the resurrection by saying, I don't believe this happened, let me now work backwards and disprove everything to get to the outcome that I wanted that this never happened. There, there really is no difference. There's certainly different spheres, but people operate it the same way. When you start at the outcome you want and then shape the facts to get there, 
you're not actually doing the research. You're not actually consuming the data. You're not actually processing the data. You're not analyzing the data. You're shaping the data for a propagandistic outcome. It's like the news media defending China right now. Everybody knows China is bad except NBC News, which has become China's uh, media whore in the United States. It's unreal to see NBC serving as a propaganda outlet for communist China against the United States because orange man bad. And we should be able to point out those things. We should be able to criticize our side. We should be able to criticize the other side. We should be able to find truth. You know, there is real truth in the world. There, there really is. And, and I don't have a monopoly on it. You don't have a monopoly on it. And sometimes we discover the truth and it works against what we believe. And we should be able to take what we believe and conform it to the truth as opposed to twisting the truth to conform to what we already believe. And nobody seems to want to do that anymore. And by God, I think we got an obligation to do it. A buddy of mine just sent me a picture. Says when you work from when you have to work from home, but you're also a parent. And it's a picture of Dolly Parton next to it. It says working nine to nine ten, nine forty five to ten, ten twenty, ten thirty five, twelve thirty to two, two fifteen to two sixteen, three thirty to three thirty seven, four twenty eight to four thirty nine, five oh five to five twelve, seven thirty nine to eight, nine fifty three to ten twenty four. <laughs> Yep, uh, that that is that that is the absolute truth. Um, it, it is it is, man. Uh, working from my wife and I were having this conversation this morning. By the way, um, just as an aside, and I'll, I'll get to my wife's in, in my conversation this morning. But the the number of parents who I'm seeing on social media now saying, "Wait a second, this is the math my kids are learning at school." The 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 grand massive parental revolt against common core mathematics is uh, going to take schools by force. I, I got to imagine the number of people I'm seeing who cannot understand their kids' math right now. And they're like, math is, it's like Mr. Incredible and Incredibles 2. If you see that movie, math is math. <laughs> yes, math is math, or at least math should be math. And now that they, they've turned it up on, on his head, but my, my wife and I were talking this morning. She said, you know, our our teachers at our school with our kids uh that they, they they go to a small christian private school here in Macon and our teachers for our kids are working as hard right now if not harder than they were working with the kids in the classroom it it's amazing how much more difficult it is and and how they're trying to accommodate the kids and all that they are just busting their butts for our kids right now and it is it's incredible to see uh, how much effort they're putting into it. And th they've got their own kids at home too, many of them, which is makes it even more impressive that they're, they're working that hard with our kids and they got their own kids at home right now. That's just, it's just, it's, it's great. It, it, it's so appreciated, but we would not be able to do homeschool at our house were it not for the teachers. Uh, there, there's just no way. Um, we, we are just, I, I, I work constantly from home. And there's really no escape right now. You know, I, I used to, there's this Mexican restaurant across the street from us called Margaritas and they've closed. And the rumor is they've closed up permanently, but, uh, but I actually saw them renovating the place the other day. So I don't think they actually have closed permanently. Gosh, I hope they haven't closed permanently. Uh, Cause I can go over there. I can sit down in the afternoon between shows. I can get a taco and a beer and just relax by myself. Uh, talk to the bartender if I talk to anyone or stare at my phone and I, I can't even do that. There's, there's no escape right now. And you got allergy season. I can't go outside our front porch. I have gone out there and scrubbed it and it is just covered in pollen. There is no escape from the pollen right now. 
and I, I, I spray down the front porch. I, I, I clean it off and you just get yellow mud. Uh, it's, it's so my buddy, Chris Burns from dynamic money, he's got to come to our house on Sunday, uh, to do his show because he does a show on, on, uh, WSB in Atlanta where I do my evening show and I've got equipment he can connect into to be able to do his show from there. Cause he can't get into the studio right now, because if you're not a full-time employee, they're not letting you in the building. And I'm thinking, man, I got to clean off the porch again. And I did it the other day so we can sit outside and do a bourbon cigar thing. And gosh, um, it's just, it is a mess outside. But I have been enjoying getting my walks out. That is one thing I've been doing is trying to get out of the house. I can't go to the gym. So I've been going for long walks in the afternoon, which is a good thing. Everybody should get out of the house and go for a walk. But it, trying to get into a disciplined habit while you're walk, working from home. My wife was watching a, a YouTube video or a, a video on, on Facebook this morning of a group of people who were in a business chat. It was a business conference of four employees. And one of them stood up at the end of the call and forgot he was in his boxer shorts and starts scratching his butt. And everybody on the call starts falling out laughing. And of course, he's clueless at first, doesn't realize until one of them texts him on the phone as he's walking around the house. He hadn't turned the video chat off. (laughs) There was another great video of a woman in Italy whose husband was, I, I mean, in, in like, like speedo underwear. And he comes walking into the room and realizes she's on a video conference call. He's in this tiny underwear and jumps out of the way so fast. He falls over on the floor. <laughs> oh, the, the work from home antics. And, and you know, there's, there's a big issue now with zoom. So many people are using zoom. Zoom had to offload capacity to China and the Chinese are snooping on the zoom servers. So you can't actually even have a secure call on zoom these days, which you never could to begin with. Honestly, the most secure conference calling and video conference in America is if everybody has an iPhone hint, hint, Charlie, if you have an iPhone, uh, iMessage can do group FaceTime and group FaceTime is the most secure video chatting system on the planet. And there are actually a lot of employers getting their employees to get on iPhones because of it now. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show. I hope you're doing well. This kind of, well, where I am, it's raining. How is it for the rest of you? I guess that's my cue. Hearing the rain outside uh, probably means I should look at the radar and see how bad it is for everybody else. The phone number, if you would like to call in is, oh, look at that. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding you people. There literally is rain directly over my house and nowhere else. Uh, that's the kind of day it's going to be. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There, there literally, there, there is, there is rain exactly over where I am and, and nowhere else on the radar map. And that is, that should tell you everything you need to know about the day I'm going to have. Uh, the rest of you are fine. So the phone number, if you from your non rainy area would like to be a part of the program is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Um, what was I going to, oh, I know what I want to talk about, man. I am behind, um, there, the, man, I basically never even got to half the stuff I wanted to talk about in the first hour. That's fine. I I want to talk about the viral pacing, um, because it looked like Georgia was doing really well, uh, and now suddenly not necessarily doing really well. And we will, we'll, we'll get to all of that, but I want to tell you again, if you text the word data to three, three, seven, 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 uh, you will get to all of my important COVID-19 links. 
including if you need the payroll protection program, uh, there is a link to First Liberty of Georgia and to uh, their phone number there. And I, I, I highly recommend them. They can help you wherever you're listening nationwide. You can use First Liberty of Georgia and they can help you get into the payroll protection program. And because they're not a massive bank, with all the bank bureaucracy and everything, they're actually the smaller banks and credit union. You don't have to use them. If you got a credit union or a small local bank, they're actually having an easier time getting into the small SBA um, payroll protection program uh, because of their size and, and their ability to be nimble. So, But I highly recommend them. Uh, you'll also find the link to the uh, IHME mapping data. And the numbers continue to improve on a regular basis. And What's so remarkable to me are the number of people on the right that I'm beginning to be disappointed in, uh, who I've long admired, who are using the changing modeling to undermine the modeling to try to get everybody back to the office yesterday. And what I mean by that is we should be applauding the modelers for changing. We should be applauding the people for inputting the data on a regular basis that shapes the models uh, in ways that actually cause some people to question their their reliability. Uh, and I would rather be in a position where we're questioning reliability. I mean, take, for example, Georgia. What we're seeing on the changing data right now is that last week, the IHME model that everyone is relying on showed that Georgia would actually exceed the total capacity of beds in the state. We know the total number of beds, 8,322. And we knew that we would be over the hump on April 23rd. What the IHME modeling showed is that uh, without shelter in place in Georgia, uh, we would actually now exceed hospital when they changed the model. And they changed the model because of the number of asymptomatic people who would never have symptoms but could get people infected, the typhoid Marys of COVID-19, if you will. Uh, they would never know they were sick. They would never test positive, but they would be carriers of the virus and get other people sick. And as a result of the change in the model, they skyrocketed uh, the numbers and it showed that we would exceed hospital space and that caused Dr. Toomey to recommend a total shutdown of the state, which the governor did. And we know from the data actually that it only changed the behavior of about 15% of people in the state, which is remarkable, but that 15% change made all the difference. Yesterday, the the IHME modeling um, the, the IHME modeling showed that Georgia would need 6,900 beds and we have 8,300 beds, so we would have no bed shortage. The problem, though, was still that we only have 589 ICU beds in the state and we would have an excess capacity of patients needing ICU beds of about 500 people. The modeling revises every day based on the numbers that come in from states. And so you can see it decrease and then you can see it spike and decrease and spike as new data comes in. Well, the, the latest data that's been fed into the model for Georgia is actually good news. It now shows uh, that we will, um, we're 12 days away from a peak use of resources. 4,455 beds will be needed, not the 6,900 they had yesterday. And now there's only going to be a 282-bed ICU shortage as opposed to a 500-bed ICU shortage. And that's good news because the numbers are trending in the right direction. We'll need less ventilators uh, and and on and on and on. And um, it has it, – it is it's, – it's good. All of the data is good.
and we should applaud the modelers for changing the modeling. You know, it's really easy when someone changes to say, well, they screwed up. And, and that's one of the things we're seeing uh, in, in our age of, of no grace. We're seeing a bunch of keyboard warriors who aren't experts Google enough to decide they are experts and then challenge the people who have spent their entire lives doing this. And that makes me mad. So let, let me let me get a little personal with you. Um, I used to be a part of an email list. And a lot of the people on that email list now that I helped start and some of them I consider friends, they hate my guts now. And part of the issue is that these people, we were all bloggers back in the day. I left my, my law practice to become a blogger. And I am one of the very few people in the nation on the left or the right who started out as a online writer and transitioned into traditional media. Typically, the people you think of as, as bloggers and online writers are people who were in the traditional media and then moved to becoming an online presence. And I'm one of the very few out there on either side of the aisle who started as an online writer and then got a TV contract and then got a radio show. And frankly, there is a lot of resentment among some people who think I've decided I'm better than them. And it is not that I think I'm better than them. But to be a little bit rude about it, I, I've never defined myself by my online persona. I have a wife and kids who keep me humble. Um, I, I, I live in a regular neighborhood. I don't live in Washington, D.C. I'm not in that space where, where um, it's a, a circle of jerks. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not up in that space. I, I, I don't hang in that crowd. Uh, I, I live a life that is completely separate from that. And I, I know people who are all about their online persona. And those are the people who are really upset with me, who think I, I've gotten too big for my britches. I'm not really one of them. Uh, it, it's, it really is amazing how people, they, and you know, I, I, I know a guy who you would all know who is in radio and I'm not talking about one of the big ones, but I, I, there's a, there's a prominent radio show host in this country who has a distinct online persona and I don't know him well, but I have several mutual friends, some of whom are longtime friends of his. And they said he has become his online persona. He is the, the blunt, going to give you hard advice uh, guy, uh, and he never was. Now, contrast that with someone like Rush Limbaugh, who Rush is a, a friend and a mentor. And he is a gregarious, boisterous person on the radio. And he is a, a very quiet, humble person when not on the radio. And people think that the Rush Limbaugh of radio is the Rush Limbaugh off air. And that's not to say he isn't telling you things he believes. He's telling you exactly what he believes. He's telling you what he thinks. It's just he's not the bombastic person on the radio. He's an entertainer on the radio. And he would much rather sit in a quiet room and watch a football game and talk sports than talk politics all day. And I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm in that boat. I, I totally get it. And I used to not, but I, it exhausts me to have to talk politics all day. And so many people want to talk politics and I am just exhausted at the end of the, I, I do five hours of radio a day. The last thing I want to talk to you about when you encounter me at the grocery store is something I said on the radio. And you know why primarily it, it has everything to do with the fact that I don't know what I said. 
I mean, I, I, I build my outline of the show and I'm not talking about any of the, of the outlining that I intended to talk about. We'll get there in just a second, but uh, I, I spit it all out in the microphone like I'm doing right now. And then uh, at noon, you can't, you can't call, rec- get me to recall what I said on the radio. My, my, my boss on my other show, n- notoriously, he just retired, but he was notorious for texting me during commercial break and saying that monologue you just did was fantastic. I have no idea what he's talking about. What what did I just say on the radio? I can't remember. It also gets me into trouble, by the way, because people say, you said, and I have no recollection that I said it. And oftentimes it's actually, I'm learning people mishear that they they pour into you their preconceived notions. And so they hear you say the thing they they wanted you to be able to say so they could be mad as opposed to the thing you said. I got nothing. I, I don't know. Now, I, I say all of that, and, and let me jump back into this. People mad at me on the right for, for saying, stop pretending to be an expert when you're just a keyboard warrior. Um, how dare you say that you think you're better than me? No, I don't think I'm better than you. I just think that you're an idiot, and you should be listening to the experts as opposed to playing one on the internet when you're not one. Uh, and so there, there's all these people trying to undermine the data, and I think we should be applauding the experts for revising the models on a daily basis as the data comes in. Contrast that with the global warming alarmists who've refused to ever change their models based on new data. Now, all of that is to say the New York Times has a really cool data set uh, on their page where you can actually look at the spreading in states of where it's speeding up, where the virus is speeding up, and where it's slowing down. And they've got it state by state. And then county by county, which I find really fascinating. So, for example, in Georgia, the spread of the virus has begun to slow down uh, and is at its slowest rate since it began to spread in the state, which is fantastic. Uh, There are new cases, but per capita, they're beginning to slow. Per capita, the deaths are beginning to slow. Uh, And then you can look at a county by county level in the state And that itself is really interesting uh, because what you're seeing at the county by county level is that, for example, uh, Fulton County now is slowing down rapidly. Um, And Doherty County is beginning to slow. But Gwinnett County isn't really slowing yet. Clayton County isn't slowing yet. And Hall County isn't slowing yet. Lee County is beginning to slow down. Bartow County has really begun to slow down. And Carroll County had a big spike, and it's beginning to slow down. But then Sumter County, it's it's not really slowing down at all yet. Cherokee County is slowing down, but Chatham County is is still picking up speed. Randolph County, Georgia. Where is Randolph County? I'm... I got to learn my counties. Randolph County, Georgia. Where's Randolph County? Randolph County. I probably got an affiliate who covers Randolph County. And so my, my apologies to all of them. Horrifying. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, Randolph County is Cuthbert and it is just to the West of Albany. And it is accelerating in the number of virus reports. Randolph County, uh, has, let's see, uh, per 100,000 people. Randolph County has 56 deaths per 100,000 people. Is that right? Uh, yeah, per 100,000 people. Yep. Randolph County is accelerating in its death toll. Colquitt County down in South Georgia, it's continuing uh, to spread. Muskogee County, that's the Columbus area. It, it's spreading, but not as fast. Pierce County is exploding uh, per capita based on uh, the coronavirus. So this data modeling from the from the, uh, in Pierce County is, uh, Blackshear. Uh, it is down by Waycross. It is just North of, um, Waycross. Uh, 
So you can see this. And, and by the way, there aren't a lot of cases there, but it's exploding in the number of cases it has. Uh, Baldwin County, that's Milledgeville, also pretty significant spread there. And now I, I raise all of this because we can see from the modeling how things are slow, speeding up and slowing down. So, for example, I'm in Bibb County. And Bibb County didn't get hit with the virus until uh, the end of March, really. And it had a big peak, and it's beginning, it, it is beginning to slow down significantly there, but only just so. Uh, Troop County, which is LaGrange, has slowed down a little more, but Bibb County is starting to slow down. And that's a really good sign. Uh, Columbia County, where there was a big hit, it, it's starting to slow down as well. The, these, these are good things. The modeling works, and the modeling shows us the speed up and the slowdown. So we can see there are parts of Georgia where the spread of the virus has begun to slow to the point that it can't reproduce. But there are parts of the state of Georgia where the virus is still spreading rapidly. If you support the modeling, what you will begin to see is there are parts of the state will be able to reopen within the next couple of weeks. If you dismiss the modeling as altogether hooey, you're going to reopen parts of the state where the virus is still spreading rapidly, and that's going to cause us further problems. I don't understand why people are so intellectually invested in shutting down the modeling. I, I get the financial concerns, but there is also a, a human concern as well. And you can't have an economy if people are too scared to come out of their houses, and you can't have an economy if people are falling over dead. you got to balance the equation. And there are too many people working too hard to undermine the models. And you know they're doing it on the left as well. The left is trying to claim it's actually far worse than we know. Uh, the left is trying to claim it's actually a bigger disaster and we should throw Donald Trump out of office now. It, it's funny to watch both sides working at cross purposes uh, to undermine modeling uh, to get what they want. On both sides of the aisle, this is happening. Why, hello there. Now, I want to move on because there's other news we should talk about. And Andrew from Canton wants to set the tone here. Andrew, welcome to the program. And thank you for not wanting to call about the virus. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Um, my, I, my question, a couple of questions. One, on the Electoral College, back in 2016, they all said that Trump won Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and uh, Pennsylvania by about 10,000 votes combined. But isn't it true that because that was caused by Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate, and also because of McMuffin being on the ballot? So if you were to take all three of those candidates, add them up, and then, um, combine those towards Hillary and Jill Stein, Trump actually would have won the, um, the uh, popular vote. And also, wouldn't his margins have been larger if it were not for those third-party candidates? And could it be significantly larger in this election in 2020? And also, on the Laffler um, Senate race in Purdue, I think Laffler personally, regardless of what we think is done, I think Collins will be the senator um, in November. But on Purdue, how do you think uh, the, the issue with the selling of the stocks because AGC made a big deal about it the other day, how that may affect Purdue versus um, John uh, Ossoff. Well, and, and I'm, I'm glad you say you, your presumption is that Ossoff's going to be the Democratic nominee. I think you're right on that. Uh, so here, here's my thinking, and l let me let me break all these down. First, it, it was 70,000 votes, not 10,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And about 10% of Bernie Sanders supporters voted for Donald Trump in those states, which is interesting. Um, you are right. There are third-party votes. The problem is that those third-party voters, uh, let's let's not take Jill Stein. Uh, Jill Stein 
took votes from Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump. But Evan McMullen and uh, Gary Johnson took votes of people who would normally vote Republican, but it, some of them, but it, they would not have gone for Trump. And I think that's that's the missing link here is that they would have stayed home. They would not have voted for Donald Trump. Uh, there is some data out there that a good portion of the Johnson voters, uh, not necessarily the McMullen voters, but the Johnson voters would actually vote for Donald Trump this time, which helps him. So, yeah, I do think at the local level that the president probably will gain some votes. I don't think he'll get the popular vote, though, overall because of uh, California and New York. He could very well become the first president ever reelected with a, uh, a second reelected, losing the popular vote and the, gaining the Electoral College. Um, there has never been a president who has twice lost the popular vote and won the election with the Electoral College. Now, on the on the Leffler situation, by the way, there's a story on Kelly Leffler. Do you know everybody's been attacking her for her private plane and she sent the private plane down to Florida to pick up a bunch of stranded Georgians who were on a cruise ship and weren't allowed off the ship unless they could find a way home and Leffler sent her plane to pick them up. The governor called and asked if she would do it. It was not a campaign event. In fact, I talked to, and I want to talk about this when we come back, I talked to one of the passengers on that flight home who explained how it came about that it wasn't a campaign event. Uh, there was no media presence. They weren't asked to participate in the media, but he feels very strongly about it and is very appreciative. And I want to talk about that and the David Perdue situation. The media is attacking David Perdue. And it was very interesting to me. They had quotes lined up from Democrats attacking David Perdue before the story hit the newspaper. That's something that has been left out of the analysis of this. How were their quotes of Democrats attacking David Perdue for this? When the story had not hit the newspaper, how exactly does that happen unless this is all a, a story being crafted to attack David Perdue? I want to talk about that when we come back because it is very important to set the lay of the land for the 2020 November election uh, for Purdue and for Leffler here in the state of Georgia. Leffler, by the way, behind in the polls now for the first time. I, I, I just, man, you know what we need right now? We need another Israeli election. You know why? Uh, because there's this unique phenomenon on Twitter where everyone suddenly becomes an expert in Israeli politics every time there's an Israeli election. I think we've had about 20 in the last two months. Uh, everyone becomes an instant uh, expert on Israeli politics and Israeli political parties whenever there's an election in Israel. And everyone becomes an expert on proportional representation and how it's going to shake out and what the exit polling says and doesn't say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we need that right now because it appears a whole lot of people have uh, stated Holiday Inn Expresses in the last week and have suddenly become expert epidemiological modelers. It's just it, it's fascinating to watch this phenomenon online. Uh, where people who can't find their way out of a paper bag are suddenly experts on models because they they read an article on Wikipedia. I think I, I'm, I'm going to trust the experts. I, I am. Uh, and, and I think you should, too. When, when you go into the doctor who is an expert and the doctor tells you uh, you've got cancer uh, and, and you decide that, nope, he's wrong. I read it on Wikipedia. It's my gallbladder. And, and you die later of cancer. Well, don't don't blame the doctor. Now, I, I need to move on because I want to talk about non-coronavirus stuff at the moment. I want to talk about Georgia politics. And yes, I, I'm afraid, unfortunately, there is actually a, a COVID-19 angle here. Let, let me give you a story. There's, a, there's an elected official uh, 
there's a global pandemic and the elected official decides to based on based on the news of a global pandemic and countries beginning to lock down as this virus spreads this 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 politician decides to start selling stocks and the stocks that the politician sells are curious one of the stocks that the politician dumps every share of that he owns is a grocery store chain named Kroger. Uh, another stock that he sells is a company that makes household cleaning supplies called Procter & Gamble. Another stock that he sells is a stock in a company called Clorox. And, and then he buys some stocks as well. He buys stock in a company called Live Nation, and that company does concerts. And he buys stocks in a company called Starbucks that owns a chain of coffee shops that as he's buying the stock, the company is closing up around the country. And another stock he buys is of a company that was on the verge of bankruptcy and rebounded and called Urban Outfitters uh, right before malls in America start shutting down. What would you think of the person who did this, who was selling stocks in grocery stores and selling stocks in pharmaceutical companies and selling stocks in cleaning supply companies while buying stocks in music concert venues and restaurants and stores at a time a global pandemic was spreading? What, what would you think? Now, what if I told you it wasn't actually him? but it was an outside financial advisor. What would the, the headline should be Senator, and I'm talking about David Perdue, Senator Perdue may need to rethink his financial advisors. Because that's actually what happened. David Perdue sold his stock in Clorox, sold his stock in Kroger, sold his stock in Merck Pharmaceutical, and, bought, and, and sold his stock in Procter & Gamble and bought stock in Live Nation and Starbucks and Urban Outfitters. But that's not the headline that the reporter at the AJC ran. And in, in fact, they left out David Perdue's sales. And I have it on exceedingly good authority that the reporter said there wasn't enough space on the printed page to put in all the information about the sales. Because there were two other stocks that David Perdue bought, and, and they make up the story. David Perdue bought stock in DuPont, and he bought stock in Netflix. And that is the story in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that David Perdue, at a time of global pandemic, profited through the, to, through the purchase of stocks of, of DuPont and Netflix, two stocks that stood to gain. Now, let me give you a little more of the story. David Perdue, unlike Kelly Leffler, David Perdue was not in the January 24th meeting where there was a briefing about COVID-19. Never mind that there were news stories the next day, and that's missed on Leffler as well. There were news stories the next day, but David Perdue was not involved in those meetings. And even last month, Democrats were saying there's no there there with David Perdue. 
But in his filing that was filed two days ago for the month of March, at a time the nation is shutting down, in a time of global pandemic, in a time of story after story in the Wall Street Journal about companies that stand to benefit from people staying at home, David Perdue's outside financial advisor traded more. David Perdue normally buys and sells about 30 some odd stocks. But in March, as the market's going through wild swings, there are about 112 transactions, more than double his normal transactions. No one disputes it was an outside advisor. No one has ever disputed that David Perdue uh, leaves it to an outside advisor and doesn't uh, agree. No one ever, uh, ever um, has disputed that David Perdue keeps a firewall between himself and his financial advisor. But what, what I find deeply disturbing is that a reporter clearly went to Democrats and had quotes ready to go from Democrats about what was happening uh, so that when the story ran, the Democrats immediately, and in one case, uh, before the story was actually in the paper, uh, produced a quote attacking David Perdue for his stock trades, focusing on DuPont and Netflix, paying no attention to the fact that David Perdue actually sold Clorox, Kroger, Procter & Gamble, and bought, along with Dow, DuPont and Dow Chemical, and uh, oh, he also sold Merck, and also it bought Netflix, that he also bought Starbucks, and he bought Urban Outfitters, and he bought a several other companies that are now in the garbage because of this. David Perdue, by the way, also bought Delta stock, and he also bought Disney stock. It's remarkable to me that we see a situation where David Perdue clearly did nothing wrong and clearly his stock trades, the volume is higher because of the market volatility, uh, but the pattern of what he's buying and selling is no different from what he's always bought and sold. And the media is trying to lump him in to his pre-existing scandal. They're essentially taking a story and, and just, a, I mean, this is essentially the theme of the whole day here. They're taking a pre-existing story and working backwards to twist pre-existing facts to pull David Perdue into their story. They want the outcome to be that David Perdue looks crooked. And so they're twisting everything to get to that point. It's, it's actually really interesting to see that. It's actually really interesting to see uh, their willingness to do this. It's actually really interesting to see their willingness to twist and and uh, twist and condemn when David Perdue is actually one of the most outstanding members of the United States Senate. And, and you know what David Perdue has been doing? David Perdue has been trying to get Georgians who are stranded globally back to Georgia. And he's having to take time off from helping Georgians to deal with these malicious attacks that, that really are ridiculous attacks that really have nothing to do with anything, really don't comport to what the media is trying to say when you actually look at the overall pattern. And so the way the, way the media is having to shape the story is to leave out the key details of his sales. Because if you saw his purchases in line with his sales, you would realize there's no there there. Now contrast that with Kelly Leffler where there continue to be questions about her sales. She did have an outside trading company do the sales and the purchases. And the outside company has said that neither she nor her husband talked to them. And you can raise questions on that, but what you shouldn't raise questions about is the fact that she used her private jet to bring some Georgians home. Now the Collins campaign, it is fair game to attack Leffler and say this was all a campaign stunt. 
But I interviewed a guy named David yesterday on my evening show. David lives in Sharpsburg, and David is one of the people who was on her jet flying back from Miami. David and his family took a cruise from Chile around the southern tip of South America to Buenos Aires. And they were intending to get off the boat in Buenos Aires and fly back to the United States. But Delta canceled all the flights. There's a massive outbreak of coronavirus in Buenos Aires. And so Delta canceled all the flights and the country went into lockdown. And if they went to Argentina, they would never be able to get home. So Princess Cruises decided to transport the ship to Miami and sailed up the coast of South America to across the Caribbean Sea and the Gulf of Mexico to Miami. And they couldn't get off the boat there without arranging transportation, and there was no way for them to get home. So the governor knew about the situation. That a, a TV station got attention. I think it was 11 Alive or Fox 5 in Atlanta uh, got the story. It was picked up by a Miami station. It made national news. The governor heard about it. The governor called Kelly Leffler and said, you got a jet. Can you use it to get these people home? And she said, sure. So they flew the jet to Miami, they boarded all the Georgians, and they sent them home. They landed at Fulton County Airport. Everybody was picked up by ambulances and transported home and put into quarantine. Uh, The ship, you should know, there were no signs of the coronavirus on the ship until the ship docked in Buenos Aires. They wouldn't let everybody off the ship. They let some people off the ship. And those people, some of them came back on and carried the virus back on board. And so it was after they left Buenos Aires that people started getting sick on the ship. By the time they got to Miami, about 20% of the ship had gotten the virus, which is interesting that not everybody did. Everybody sheltered in place on the ship and not everybody got the virus, but about 20% did, which is what we're kind of seeing on these cruise lines is that when it spreads on the ships, the Diamond Princess and the others, that it's about 20% of the people are getting the virus. And and we're not really sure why, uh, but Leffler did the right thing and she's being attacked for doing the right thing as a PR stunt. And I think just like with David Perdue, he did nothing wrong with his stock trades. Uh, Leffler should actually be praised at a time that billionaires are being attacked all over this country. Leffler used her own money and her own plane and got Georgians home. And you can say it's a campaign stunt. I'm not going to try to dissuade you from that. But the fact of the matter is she got these people home and no one else did. And if she's going to use that as a campaign stunt, well, then let her. There were no camera crews present. There were no TV stations present. The guy who called my radio show yesterday did so unsolicited. He wanted people to know what she did. When they got to Atlanta, there were no media crews present. There were no campaign staffers present. It was her and her husband there to greet them and welcome them home. And that was it. And so I'll praise her for it. Now, to the phones we go at 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Jake in Macon, you're going to be next. Welcome. Hey, Eric, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Th- thank you for your show. You do some marvelous things, and I appreciate it. I'll be thank short you. and sweet. I'm um, I'm a retiree, and I grew up in an era where, you know, the mantra was safer rainy day. My folks uh, grew up during the depression, and then we ended up having to live through a 116 day strike uh, with the steel industry, uh, over three million people out of work, and really an economic hardship on a whole right. lot of folks. But there was no bailout. There was no bailout. There was no stimulus package. People grew gardens. They decided to uh, use every bit of soil on their property and grew vegetables and canned things and sacrificed it that whole time. And, and I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm not complaining, but I see um, we had an economic boom of over three years, huge 
wealth increase by a whole lot of people, not just the higher end uh, income people, but a lot of folks making more money, a lowest unemployment in history, blah, 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 on, on and on and on. And all of a sudden we had to shut some businesses down. And within a week, within a week, there was a stimulus package. I'm like, wow, did every, anybody save anything for a rainy day? Um, and I'm just, I guess I'm ranting a little bit, but I'm concerned because I, I grew up in that era where my mom said, said it many times, save for a rainy day, save for a rainy day, right. because they experienced it. And, and I don't, I didn't see that happen. And people were going, I need, I'm, I'm lost my job. I'm, I'm out of work. I have no money. Well, mm-hmm. What did, what did you do the last three years when lots of money was being made? What, what, what did you do? Did you save anything? You know, so yeah, it, had, you know, said, and, and- I know a lot of people, Jake, who are in this situation. In fact, my sister sent me a funny meme the other day. Our our grandmother, when she was alive, was notorious for saving everything. She would even wash the aluminum foil. And my sister sent me a meme the other day, and it was, now we know why our grandparents washed the aluminum foil. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly true, though. We recycled bags and and the bread bags. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. we used to think my grandmother was a hoarder for this stuff. She would, she would save all the twist ties and she would say, save the, the yeah, bags. Yeah. And, and to some degree, maybe she was, but it's like my wife now saves, saves every plastic container. Like you, you get a sour cream, don't throw the sour cream container away. And it's what, what everybody always did and put your leftovers in and, and eat the leftovers yeah, exactly. and come up with exactly. new ways for exactly. the leftovers. And Freezer people don't live like that anymore. You drive it, down the street back in my day and, and every yard was full of a garden. I mean, string yeah. beans and you name it, they used every bit of soil to, plant food and, and didn't throw anything away. And um, I, I'm just concerned because, you know, when you have a, an economy so strong as ours was and the stock market, all those things, you know, wrapped up into one. And then all of a sudden within a week, we're saying, Hey, government, help me out. We're, we're hurting. Wow. Right. Well, and, and nobody, the savings rate in the country, and, and thanks very much for the phone call, Jake. Thanks for listening. Um, the savings rate in this country is abominable. And, and you know, I'm guilty of it too, frankly. Um, thankfully, uh, so my buddy Chris Burns with Dynamic Money, uh, he kind of he works like a, a, a general physician and internist for your finances. He looks at everything and says, you need to do this. You need to change this. Um, let me, let me talk to your life insurance guy and let's rearrange this. Let me talk to your mortgage guy and let's refinance your house and get you some money out so you can pay this stuff off and on. And, and he said to us like, you don't have enough savings. You, you, you need to reset. And so my wife and I have been building up our savings for hard times. And, and we've, we've been very bad about it. Like everyone else, we, we've spent a lot and we've invested in the market but we haven't savings that we could immediately draw on. It's been in our 401k. And that's also part of the problem here is people have diverted savings into 401ks and you can't get out of your 401k without a penalty. But this is causing people, if there's if there's a silver lining in this, I hope it's that people realize that the government can't save them and that people do need to be a little bit more thrifty and industrious with what they're doing. I, I do wonder if people's behaviors will change. Part of me is not optimistic we do live in a selfish society these days, but I hope enough people will that it matters. Because, because again, you know, like the the cell phone data out there that's that's out there right now shows that uh, the governor's shelter in place order in Georgia has only changed the behavior of about fifteen percent of people in the state. But that's actually been enough to 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 flatten the curve here in Georgia, and that's a good thing. And and maybe you get fifteen percent of people changing their behavior. That's enough. Hello there. The phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I I wanna I wanna put in a plug for a barbecue place down in Macon that has 
uh, reopened after the, the original owners closed it and, and it's been reopened Satterfields downtown. My wife and I used to eat there all the time and they just reopened and they were renovating their restaurant. They were selling curbside, renovating their restaurant and they opened the restaurant. Now they had to close again. And uh, man, tasty eats. Uh, I want to, I, I wanted a brisket for Sunday. I can't find any brisket for Easter cause it's Passover. And so all the brisket sold for Passover and, um, they, they offered to, to send me one. It's like, no. So there's the, there's this random rule. And I, I think I'm the only person on radio in America who actually honors the rule. Uh, it's called Plugola Payola. There's actually two separate rules. But, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, it became a scandal as radio DJs were accepting things. And in exchange, they were playing music on the radio or they were talking up bands on the radio. And, um, so it became a scandal. People were charting in in the top 10 in the country. And it was largely because radio DJs were getting bribed to pay the music. So they passed these rules, plugola and payola. Uh, you can't get paid under the table to promote things on the radio and you can't plug things on the radio in exchange for perks. And I get all of the time people ask me, uh, if I will say something nice about their business on the radio and they'll give me a free meal or something, and it's against the law for me to do that. And I realize I'm probably the only person in America who takes it seriously, but I do. And so if I talk about a business or something on the radio, I, I've either got to tell you that they're an average, like uh, Mrs. Griffin's is a perfect example. Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce sponsors of the show. I actually use them in my house. I actually have several bottles of Mrs. Griffin's in my pantry and I did way before they were a sponsor. And so Roland Neal, who's the CEO, said, can we advertise on the show? And like, I'm, I'm happy to talk about you because I already use you. I, I buy my own barbecue sauce. He's like, well, we'll, we'll advertise anyway. So, so they are. But I, I can't – they can't give me stuff and then say advertise. And, and I just I, – I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Satterfields, and they can't give me brisket. I will buy a ham for because everybody else in the family prefers ham to brisket. But they're good. If you're in the middle of Georgia area, check out Satterfields. I buy my stuff from them. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. A a couple of housekeeping notes for you real quick. On Friday, I do something very different, uh, way out of the ordinary for your normal talk radio program, and I want to prepare you for it if you tune in. On Friday, you're like, what on earth is going on? One of the things you notice is that I hate to play music with lyrics, on this program, uh, as if for bumper music coming in and coming out of breaks because I hate to talk over other people talking. Uh, and I make an exception on Good Friday, and it tends to be Christian artists. And I spend Good Friday talking about non-political topics and in particular get more theological than I normally would. It is Holy Week after all. And I want to explain to you what's coming up on Friday. I want to encourage you to be here on Friday. Um, different part, different channels take different parts of the show and I, I can't control the stations, but I encourage them all to take the full show on Friday, uh, from nine to noon, uh, because none of you can get to church. It is Holy week. None of you can get out of your house. You can't be at church on Sunday unless you're one of those people who's just completely ignoring what's happening in the world. And I want to encourage you to be here with me on Friday. It is a bit of an emotional train wreck. I, I should advise you. Um, not a theological train wreck, but an emotional one, <laughs> but worship with me on Friday, if you will. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it, we, we, we get into, we get into deep water and 
I think this year we're all stuck at home. There is a global pandemic. We can't be in church together on Sunday, but we can be together here on the radio. I'm actually going to do two shows on Friday and two completely different shows. I'm not taking my morning show and then just re-airing it in the evening. I'm actually doing six hours of Good Friday programming on Friday. And I'm fine with that because I'm tired of talking about the virus and it's it's cathartic to be able to do that together with you. The music is different. There's a lot of Andrew Peterson and Johnny Cash coming on Friday. Man, I love Johnny Cash. Um, but nonetheless, uh, be with me on Friday if you can. But I want to prepare some of you. You tune in. Uh, your station only takes a couple hours of the show instead of all three hours of the show or an hour of the show. And you're like, what on earth have I gotten myself into today? Well, it's special. And now here's the reason why I do it. In a survey of global historians by Harvard University about a decade ago, the historians at institutions like Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Stanford and Oxford and Cambridge and um, various other universities around the world, including in, in Southeast Asia, they were asked to name the most important events in human history. And you have events like Uh, Caesar crossing the Rubicon, uh, the fall of Russia and the rise of the Soviets. You have Alexander conquering uh, the world. You have uh, the, the death of the Buddha. But almost universally, the number one event in human history, and the again, these are not theologians. These are not religious scholars. These are not sectarian historians. They are just academic historians around the world. The number one event listed is the execution of a guy in Jerusalem around 33 AD named Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, That event has had global ramifications. So many people think of Christianity as a Western religion. In fact, there are more practicing Christians in China today than there are in the Western Hemisphere, not the Western Hemisphere, in in the Northern, Northwestern Hemisphere, in in, uh, North America, Mexico, Canada and the United States combined have fewer Christians than China. In Iran, the fastest growing religion, despite ruthless persecution, is Christianity. It is a religion that is not anchored to a geographic region, uh, which makes it uh, spread like water around the world. Uh, And Christians would say it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But It has had profound impact around the world. It scares authoritarian regimes. The Chinese ruthlessly persecute Christians because they attribute the fall of the Soviet Union in large part to John Paul II, the Pope, uh, and his efforts in Europe to bring about the fall of the Soviet Union. And so they ruthlessly persecute Christians in China. They tear down churches. They control who can meet. They even want to control who can be a Catholic priest in China, uh, if at all. And uh, Christianity has the power to upend governments. And I think it is worth every year as a way to recalibrate myself, if not you, is to spend an entire show one day a year on what is widely considered by historians to be the most important date in human history. Now, these historians don't accept the Sunday on the third day. He rose again. They don't accept that. Uh, But there is wide acknowledgement that by any historic standard, this event actually happened. There is wide acknowledgement by any historic standard this was a real person. And there is wide acknowledgement by any historic standard that this is one of the, if not the most important events to ever occur in human history, given the global ramifications of the spread of this religion. There are literally dozens of people around the same time, some of them who shared the name Jesus, who claim to be the Messiah. There are some historians in the 19th and 20th centuries who actually say that uh, the Jesus we would think of today is 
an amalgamation of various different figures who claim to be the Messiah. Um, they, they are in the distinct minority of people. But nonetheless, uh, there, there are so many people who recognize that this event happened uh, who cannot dispute the authenticity of it, even if they dispute, dispute what Christians say happened next. Clearly, something had to have happened 2,000 years later to see this is still the most uh, uh, widely spread religion on the planet. More than 3 billion people on this Sunday will join together uh, to worship Jesus and his resurrection. And whether I convince you or not that the resurrection is real, when there are big events, I try to pause on this program for D-Day. I try to pause on this program around Thanksgiving. I try to pause uh, around the 4th of July and, and commemorate some of the very big events in history. I've even uh, spent done a monologue on this program on, on the anniversary of Caesar crossing the Rubicon. It was a very big event in Western civilization. But this is the biggest event in human history. And that's why on Friday you're not going to hear me use the word Trump. You're not going to hear me uh, use the word Republican or Democrat. You're not going to hear me talk about a virus per se. There will be some uh, angle on, on virus talk, but not a lot. And so come worship with me on Friday, if you will. The music is different. The thinking is different. Uh, the topics are different. Uh, and it's a show I do. Really, I do it for me, not for you. But I hope you'll be here with me because it is it is a big thing. And it should, it should transform our thinking. Uh, today, uh, my Jewish friends will be celebrating Passover. In fact, I'll be on radio late tonight on my other show because uh, the host after me will be off celebrating Passover. And that in and of itself is a big event in human history. You know, it really is worth pondering, uh, just, just, just as an aside here. Ponder means, Siri says. I got to turn Siri back. I turned Siri off on my watch and I had to turn it back on, and now I need to turn it off again. It's, it's starting to aggravate me. Um, Passover is a big event uh, because it is actually interesting to think how distinctive uh, the Jewish religion was when it was founded, um, regardless of how you say it was founded. Uh, at the time, you have an entire world that is pantheistic, and along comes this religion from a, a tiny part of the world that says, no, actually, uh, the sun and the moon are not gods, unlike every other religion on the planet at the time. Uh, there actually is a God, and he created these things and fixed them in the heavens along with all the stars, and they're not gods either. And it just completely uh, upended the way people thought about the world. In fact, when you fast forward into the 1920s and 1930s, it was a George Lemieux. The, he was a physicist, but he was also a Catholic priest. And he came up with, a Catholic priest came up with the theory of the Big Bang. And the leading scientists of the day refused to accept the Big Bang as a theory. Even Albert Einstein refused to accept it. And, and the prevailing argument was this is a Catholic priest trying to justify the words, let there be light. And it is the prevailing theory of the day. It is. Um, there, there are prevailing theories in what came first, the plants or the animals. And if, if you go along with, with Genesis 1, you know the plants came first. And by God, it, it appears the plants came first. The, the prevailing sentiment of, of science aligns. You know, so many people try to pit science and, and Christianity against each other. It's very hard to do that. In fact, some of the most distinctive scientists on planet Earth's history have been uh, notable for their Christian faith, including people like uh, Isaac Newton uh, and Galileo and others. But nonetheless, uh, in, in the 21st century, there is a clash, and it is a culture clash, and that culture clash is building, and we see it, and... Um, we see what's happening in New York City with Samaritan's Purse. 
I mean, we see what happened with me in this cross on the front lawn. By the way, I, I got a text this morning from the mother of the two boys who are selling the crosses and says business is booming. And I got a note last night from a listener in Cobb County who said he's not going to say it's me. Um, but on Monday, there were no crosses in yards in his neighborhood. And by yesterday, he said almost every house in his neighborhood has a cross with Christmas lights on it. He said there's actually, uh, he was in the Ace Hardware up there near Marietta, and they were talking about people doing a run on Christmas lights, that they always keep some in stock, and they're completely sold out, uh, and couldn't figure out why. And and he said he assumed it was the guy on the radio who put Christmas lights on his cross and the left attacked him for being a cross burner. You know, I, I got to say, it, it really was the most bizarre thing to happen to me this weekend to wake up and have people accuse me of burning a cross in my own yard. I mean, what idiot Klansman burns crosses in their own yard to begin with? Let, let's just start at, at that. What idiot would do something like that? And I, apparently I'm the idiot who would do something like that. Um, but now, I mean, there, there, are, there are so many and business is booming for the kids who are doing this and it's such a worthy cause. I, it, it's good to see, but what, what people mean for ill, God means for good. Anyway, we're going to discuss all that on Friday. I hope you'll join me on Friday. You can't get to church. You might as well come here. And remember, you can listen on your smart speaker, whichever station you're listening to me on right now. And it's it's nice to now say whichever station because there are we've got more than a dozen stations now that are running the show, and that's great. Uh, and we're still all in Georgia. I would love to be a national show one day. I really do want to be a national show, but I like being a Georgia show to start out. I like doing this myself. Uh, Charlie, my producer, I, is indispensable. I couldn't do it without him, and and we're just slowly growing the show. We're taking our time doing it. We're building up a base of stations, and we're, we're being our own ad sales guy, which means we don't really have any ads right now. We don't have the bandwidth for it, but it, it's been nice to grow the show, and it's nice to do this show. But I got to tell you, uh, for several years now, I've had people in national radio who have told me that if I keep doing this Good Friday show, I will never amount to anything in national talk radio. And that's been kind of weird uh, that, that there is there is this disconnect, I guess, between what a conservative audience is willing to put up with and what the program directors at various stations are willing to put up with. Uh, but I have no intention. If I got to stay a small show in order to keep doing the Good Friday show, I would rather do the Good Friday show than be a, a massive global success. Uh, it, it's that important to me, and you'll get to hear it on Friday on this, and you can go on and get the music. I, I, I handpick with listeners the music to put in the show. And if you follow me on Spotify or Apple Music, I'm E.W. Erickson on both places, E-W-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. You can see all the music. There's a lot of Johnny Cash, I'm going to warn you, uh, that'll be in the show on Friday. Now, to the phones, TJ in Macon. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show. Yes, I'm glad to hear your comments about the crosses and that they're catching on, and that is absolutely wonderful. My daughter's got one, I got one. But Great. anyhow, uh, I wanted to make mention, you know, we're inundated with information about the uh, virus, and uh, there's another thing that hasn't gotten any attention, and you might could use it on your show uh, Friday, and that is the uh, plague of the locusts that have inundated all of the farms in the Horn of Africa, and they're moving towards uh, Iran, Iraq, down through Syria toward Pakistan, and we've got to pray fervently. I pray to the north about this, and uh, fervently that God steers them right around Israel, because this is a plague that we haven't heard anything about. You can find it on the internet. And you, you know, TJ, as a matter of fact, increase. the Chinese government is beginning to issue warnings to Western China. Yeah. 
Um, for those who don't know what TJ is talking about, and, and thanks for raising that because I haven't had a chance to talk about it. There is, uh, and it is a a swarm of locusts that is bigger than several American states combined. It is that big. And it is it has moved from Africa and is stretched out now across the Middle East. It is heading into Iran, heading into India, and even the Chinese government is now warning Western China that this plague of locusts is coming. I mean, when I say biblical plague, I'm I'm not exaggerating here. This 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 massive amount of locusts is bigger than several American like spread out as it swarms is bigger than a couple of American states. Uh, that's how big it is. And it is consuming everything in its path, and it has thus far steered way further uh, to the west, away from Israel. It's headed towards China. Uh, <laughs> and I've got friends who are looking at this thing as it heads towards China after this virus, and they're thinking, uh, maybe God really is like steering the locusts. I, I don't know, but there are a whole lot of locusts out there consuming crops along the way. Well, we got some breaking news here at 11.24 a.m. on Wednesday, April 8th. Bernie Sanders is suspending his campaign officially. Uh, the Sanders campaign is, um, the Sanders campaign has come to an end. He will address his staff and the nation at 11.45 a.m., uh, saying the campaign is suspended, but the fight continues. Uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we will not be carrying Bernie Sanders. I'm going to talk to Sam Sorbo. Uh, she is a homeschooling advocate and wants to talk to you about your kids are stuck at home. Uh, they may not have a super engaged classes right now. What you can do to supplement their education while they're at home uh, in ways that are family friendly and uh, definitely a topic that is needed at the time. Uh, and, uh, that will be fantastic. Now, I also want to tell you that there is other news hitting the wire right now, and it's not good news. It, it's, it's not American news, but it's worth sharing. Um, and it is significant, uh, Spanish coronavirus deaths and new cases rise the most in four days. Fatalities have increased by 757 to 14,555 total infections uh, 146,690. And the prime minister is asking for a state of emergency extension. By the way, here in Georgia, Brian Kemp, you know, the, the, the house of representatives wanted to, in the governor's emergency declaration, require that they all come back and redo the emergency declaration. If he wanted to extend it past the middle of April, well, the Senate, thank God Jeff Duncan in the Senate uh, convinced David Ralston in the House that they needed to put in a provision that would allow the governor to extend it unilaterally by 30 days. And, well, none of them want to come back to Atlanta now. So the governor is going to extend unilaterally his emergency declaration by a month. Uh, I mean, the problem is if we can't get a handle on this in the next month, they're going to have to come back. But the good news is here in Georgia, it looks like we will be turning the corner in about 12 days in the state of Georgia, uh, we will begin to see a decline in death. Now, the question is, when we turn the quarter, can people start venturing outside? Uh, there is a related story that it turns out I was right about that there is a supply chain problem for toilet paper. And interestingly enough, uh, it is the supply chain for paper products is the only supply chain in the country that's having problems. It's a fascinating story in the Wall Street, or not the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. So there isn't a supply chain problem for meat right now. Uh, you may have a hard time finding brisket, and that's not a supply chain problem. It's Passover today. So lots of people are getting brisket for Passover. 
Uh, you, you may have trouble getting some stuff because people are stockpiling, but there's plenty of bacon. There's plenty of pork. There's plenty of chicken. There's actually plenty of dairy. Uh, there's plenty of butter. There's plenty of eggs. There's plenty of cheese. Uh, what, what people are having a hard time finding right now is paper products. And it turns out there's a reason for that. And it's twofold. One is because people are home, they are using more paper products at home. And two is because people are using more paper products at home and, and people are having a hard time finding it, people are overbuying as a result. The paper industry this is a great story in the, in the Washington Post. The paper industry is split into two industries, the industrial side and the consumer facing side. And the industrial side, if you've ever gone to an office, you know about the, the, the nasty one-ply toilet paper that they use. And it comes on a big roll because people use about three times as much as a normal roll of toilet paper because it's it's so thin. Well, it's hard to translate the industrial paper production side into the consumer side because it's packaged differently, among other things. There are, for example, no UPC codes. And so they're now having to stick UPC codes on the toilet paper like you do – uh, on produce in order to be able to sell them for the consumer side. And you've got a number of paper producers who have decided to shift and they're going to sell the industrial paper, toilet paper garbage to uh, to grocery stores to be able to start making up for the supply. Saying, listen, desperate times call for desperate measures, people. You're going to need some of that toilet paper. Uh, but they're having a hard time transitioning. They're trying to transition, but according to the experts who study the paper supply chain, they said it's going to be another month before you start seeing regular supplies of toilet paper and paper towels on the shelves again because it's going to take a month for the supply chain, one, to catch up, and two, for people to stop panic buying because at this point, people are panic buying because they see the shelves empty so much. When it's there, they grab as much as they can. And it's going to take about a month of seeing the toilet paper there regularly before people stop panic buying. It's just, it's fascinating because the supply chain and socioeconomics and, and psychology all play together in these things. Now, when we come back, Sam Sorbo is going to join me. Your kids are stuck home. You're trying to keep them entertained, but also educated. What do you do as a parent? What do you do? We're going to discuss it with an expert. And maybe you can get your kids smart on the way out the door back to school in August. We'll be back. So welcome back, by the way. It is Eric Erickson. There are a whole lot of people out there right now who are homeschooling, who've never had to homeschool before and are trying to figure out what to do. And in some cases, like, for example, my kids, my kids are actually in the other room right now doing their work. Um, their teachers are as engaged right now as they have been in school, if not more so, because they're dealing with their kids at home too now. And But in other cases, uh, there's there's a, a, a lack of information, a lack of options, and a, and a lack of instructional material out there. And good Lord, the number of friends of ours who are suddenly realizing what Common Core Math is all about and how bad it is, suddenly trying to, to reprogram their kids into the math that everybody grew up with and has been around for multi-thousand years. Uh, and there are some great resources out there. Some have come online right now. Uh, joining me on the phone to talk about uh, homeschooling and what you can do as a new homeschool teacher that you never knew you could do uh, is Sam Sorbo. Uh, Sam, welcome so much to, to for coming to the program. Thank you so much, Eric. Love what you do. And uh, I'm so thrilled to be able to share this message with a nation of accidental homeschoolers. <laughs> yeah, accidental for sure. Nobody saw this coming. <laughs> no. And, uh, but here's the thing in tragedy, there's often opportunity. And this is a fantastic opportunity for families to test drive home education for them and for their children. 
And there are a lot of families who are already realizing, man, I'm never going back to the institution. This is awesome. And so, you know, we started right away. I started putting out videos every day and, um, and to try to help people to embrace this. It is, a, it is a tough call, right? When you think you've got everything ordered and your kids go to school every day and you go to work every day and now we're stuck with this um, shelter in place and all of this stuff. But at the same time, you know, we can embrace adversity and make uh, and, and make something good come out of it. And one of those things is I think we're going to take a long, hard look at what we call education in this nation. And also there are a lot of families who are coming together and growing closer and realizing the sacrifice that they make when they drop their kids off at the institution. Well, yeah, the, what my wife and I have been talking about a lot lately is – a lot of, we moved our kids from a, a, a private school system that used the common core system into a classical education system where they're now learning Latin and the Socratic method and they're actually having to do Zoom calls with teachers to engage in debate and questioning and stuff with, with some very hands-on teachers still. And we're hearing overwhelmingly from a number of friends of ours who are parents who are active parents who are engaged with their kids, but they just had no idea that some of the stuff that the kids were engaged with in school, particularly on the math side, and now they're, we've got a number of friends who are thinking, you know, I can actually do this and, and I can help my kids, uh, but there are questions about resources. So, so the website uh, that, that's been set up is, is coronavirushomeschooling.com. Um, a, a, an easy grab, I bet, on that URL because who would have thought of that until a few months ago? Right. So that, so, so uh, THSC, which is uh, one of the largest homeschool uh, communities, uh, in the probably in the world, actually, and they've been at it for over 30 years. They started down that road right away, and they put together this resource because the, we both recognize, frankly, that there are a lot of people who are going to be basically hurting. Like they just didn't, they just didn't quite realize, and and they were saddled with this out of the blue. Um, I started doing videos right away. They're up at samsorbo.com to to empower parents, and um, and parents don't, you know, they they. They don't know how. And, the, and the, the struggle that I have with that is if you went to high school and you don't know how to teach a third grader, what does that say about the education you received? And then why would you send a third grader into that environment again to, to also be able to feel inadequate later on in life? Like, I just look right. at that and I go, it just, you know, why aren't we thinking about this properly? Um, so coronavirushomeschooling.com, we have, uh, we have curriculum for K through 5. I like to say, you know, it's soup to nuts, and all you add is the love, which, of course, is the thing that, uh, that schools struggle with, right, to, to provide for the kids. We know that children whose parents are involved, that there's a direct correlation to academic achievement for those kids. Homeschooled children score 15, per, 15 to 30 percent higher on academic achievement tests, and they score better on the social uh, tests uh, that, that they give them also. So um, homeschooling definitely is a very positive choice for families. So if there's any way for you to get it done, now you have this opportunity to test drive it, try it on. You can go to coronavirushomeschooling.com and download curriculum and uh, like a full curriculum and compare it. I'm, I'm urging parents, do, do a comparison between that and what your school is sending home and see, um, you know, the other thing is what I want to know is are the schools sending home, and I'm putting out just a generalized offer 
for people to share with me some of the curriculum that they're getting from their schools. Are any schools sending home sex ed curriculum? I would love to hear from you. Go to samsorbo.com. You can email me there. Um, because oh, that's I know a, that, that yeah, that's an interesting question because you know I've been commenting lately on on society as a whole has been dealing with so many silly frivolous target to- topics lately, and it's amazing how those frivolous topics just kind of disappear uh, now that we're in crisis. Right, and so so if sex ed is that important, why isn't it going home with your ninth, tenth grader? I mean, I know that in some schools they're teaching young boys in 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 um, uh, elementary school, things about Ugh. lubrication and things like that, like Ugh. like insanity stuff, like child abuse type of stuff. And so I would love to hear from parents, what are they sending home? Here's a, here's a question for you, Eric. So a lot of the public schools, they closed down and they said, you won't hear from us. Don't call us. We'll call you. We'll be back in touch at the end of the month. That was three weeks away. Why weren't they sending home curriculum right away? Did they not know what they were going to teach the children or did they somehow have to sanitize it before they sent it home? What's going on? Well, you know, I'm glad you say that because I I have heard this from friends of ours who are in public schools that it really has been the lack of information and not in all cases and not in all school districts, but actually has been notable how – some of the school districts that the teachers talk about all the time having to plan and do all these detailed plans and it takes up more time than the actual teaching and yet you go home and there's crickets uh what's actually going on well i don't blame the teachers i never blame the teachers because by and large teachers are wonderful people and they're working right. in a system that has been for for you know basically compromised i think that the education system in the united states is severely compromised um, the facts are that we pay per student, we pay more than any other country, save, I think, one Switzerland. Um, and results are we're 27th in the world. And we're flipping America, please. Come on, guys. So right. something's broken in the system. Everybody admits that it's broken, and nobody's willing to do anything to try to fix it, except the status to come in and implement Common Core. And that has now dumbed down children even more. And if you mm-hmm. thought that Common Core was good, then, uh, then, oh my goodness, I have a bridge to sell you. Like, I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's absurd that to think that by making everybody equal, that somehow everybody would be greater than the lowest right. common denominator. And so it, now, yeah, parents are parents are having to deal with Common Core math and the other stuff. I think the schools had to had to scramble to put stuff together to send home that that wouldn't tip the parents off to what was going on in the schools. You know, they're moving more and more to online learning mm-hmm. as a way of preventing parents from seeing what's going on in the schools. And if you want any proof of that, you get my book, They're Your Kids. It's available at samsorba.com. Um, I go into uh, a lot of the Common Core. I really should update it because I think it's been three years and there's so much more that's been coming down the pike right. that's just absolute garbage that they've been teaching our children. So now parents have this opportunity. One, you can maybe maybe the maybe the the veil has come off and you can see some of the stuff that your kids are being taught in school. And two, you can you can test drive homeschooling and compare. So and that's coronavirushomeschooling.com. So you can get all the information I, I wanna, there. Yeah. I got man, you, you, you hit a you hit a, a nerve with me on on Common Core because I talk about it a lot and and I try to explain people that whether you you want to dive deep into it or not at at, at just a, a surface level, 
one of the things my wife and I noticed about it when our kids started doing it is it, it essentially takes away from them the, the independence and the entrepreneurialism of education and teaches them how to be great little worker bees for Fortune 500 companies uh, without the ability to think independently. And I, I just it, it's staggering to me how there is actually a parental rebellion around the country from just the nonsense. Forget even some of the the core aspects of Common Core, just when you can't help your child do basic math. My wife is a, has a computer programming degree, was in engineering. Her father's a, a graduate of Georgia Tech, and they can't figure out third grade math. There's a real problem when your kids are having to be more dependent on the state than the parents to get a math homework assignment done. You want the 10,000-foot view on that? So Common Core it. makes math magic. Why? Because math is logic, and if you can remove logic from the child, then the child won't be able to think straight. And then you can control that individual. So if you, if you turn math into magic, it becomes basically unattainable for the child. Only a few children will then be able to think logically, and that's better for the system. So I go into <laughs> okay. this in my book, Dare like Your that. Kids. The other thing, there's another 10,000-foot view. How about we alienate the child from his parents? So he goes home, he says, Mommy, help me with my math homework. And she says, Honey, this makes no sense to me because it's absurd and ridiculous. And there was no reason to change the standard paradigm for the standard algorithm for doing multiplication because that made sense and that was perfectly logical. So let's do it my way. And the child says, No, the teacher says we have to do it the teacher's way. And so you're stupid because you you can't even do third grade math, mommy. Yeah, How about mom, that? it's it's it, that's the grandma way. We don't do that anymore. Uh, I, I hear that all the it's time. Okay, so I, I I got we're almost out of time, yeah. Sam, and I I got to ask you this question: How did you get into homeschooling your kids? I honestly, I'll tell you, uh, the school was not serving my child, and I was there all the time. I was the guilty parent who helped out and did everything, and that's in my book as well. That story. But I I honestly went to Kevin and I said, I think I could fail at home education and still come out on top because of what they're doing to our child in the school. And you have no idea what they're doing to your child in the school, you parent of a school children uh, of school children, unless you go in there every day and you see and you start really paying attention to what they're sending home with your child. You just don't understand what you're sacrificing by allowing your child to go into that institution every day. So uh, if you go to samsorbo.com, there's more information there. Go to coronavirus, coronavirushomeschooling.com, and you'll get all of, the, all of the instructions that you need to be successful as a homeschool parent these days, certainly for right now. Um, it's all available still till the end of the month, so we're urging people to sign up now. Um, after that, it depends on what's happening with the with the shutdown and everything. But we will be there as a resource for parents. Um, I'm certainly there as a resource for parents. I have two presentations that I'm making on Thursday night. They're open to the public. They're both free. If you go to my website, samswobo.com, you can find more information out about those. One's on Facebook. The other's a webinar. They're free. You just have to register to come on board, and I'll be talking more about this. Um, it's time to wake this nation up and go back to the entrepreneurial spirit that built this nation, that created this nation by the homeschoolers who created it, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Listen, thank you. I, I have just enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for stopping by and, and best of luck to you. And and I am certainly happy to, to ra- raise the signal on this because it, it's such a good thing that you're doing for people. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Really appreciate it. You take care. You too. 
That's Sam Sorbo. And and yes, if you're wondering, yes, that that's Kevin Sorbo's wife uh, that they met while on the set of Hercules. Uh, and, uh, just what, what an, she's become a, a zealous advocate for homeschoolers across the country. In fact, if you go to coronavirushomeschooling.com and you scroll down to the bottom, you'll find a link to the laws of the 50 states on homeschooling. And, and I, we didn't have time to get into it. Uh, but you know, there has been a real movement among public school advocates in the country to attack homeschooling organizations and drive up the regulation on homeschooling. In fact, in, Illinois, there was an attempt just a few years ago to force homeschooling parents to pay teacher union dues. There, there actually was. I'm not making that up. Uh, the, the public school teacher unions insisted that homeschool parents pay teacher union dues if they were going to be classified as teachers. It was absolutely bizarre. Uh, so many people want to separate parents from their children's education. And that is one thing that my wife and I have both been commenting on of late is the number of people in this country who are suddenly becoming aware of what their kids are not learning in school and what schools are teaching that's just so bizarre. So if, if there's a silver lining among others and everybody having to stay home with their kids right now, it, it's making people realize, man, something is really screwed up in our public school systems around the country. Important. Important. Uh, if you are a small business, uh, 500 or less employees, and you haven't gotten into the Paycheck Protection Program, you know, the, the government set aside only a limited pool of a, like $100 billion, $200 billion or so for this program. And you've got to get into the queue to be able to get the money. Now, it looks like today there's word out of Washington they may expand the program. But a lot of big banks are having a harder time processing you. Uh, getting into the program because all the the paperwork requirements and everything else that big banks with a lot of uh, federally backed capitalization have to go through, it is smaller banks building in loans and and credit unions that are actually able to get you in quicker. And I want to recommend they are sponsoring the program. They really are good people. They're dear friends of mine, the Frost family, and they run a financial institution in Noonan, Georgia called uh, First Liberty Building and Loan. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. Now, it doesn't matter where you're listening to me nationwide. They can help you. Any American with an American-owned business, based business that is a small business, can get into the payroll protection program, and they can help you do it. So if you need that money, and what this program does, what the payroll protection program does, is it covers your costs. It has a mathematical formula, and it covers your costs for salaries. And 25% of the money can be used for other costs like rent payments, but you can use this money, and if you do not lay people off, then it gets converted to a grant, so you never actually have to pay the money back. If you need access to it, go to firstlibertyga.com. Uh, you can get the contact info for the Frost family. Call them and tell them that I sent you. Uh, they're good people, I, I, and you know, I was telling everybody about them. I was referring them to a bunch of people, and they reached out to me and said, hey, we're getting so much business. Can we actually sponsor the program? And I said, sure. And so now I'm, I'm doing it as an ad, but I was doing it even before that because I know them. I like them. They're honest, good Christian people. Uh, they're, they're really, really good at what they do, and they're really helpful. So please do. Don't hesitate to reach out to them. Uh, you don't have to have a prior relationship with them. They just want to help you. It's firstlibertyga.com is their website. Uh, and it, it just they're, they're good, and you need help if you need help. Uh, I am continue to read these horrifying stories about small businesses and now larger businesses as well. Um, it, there are actually word out today in, in the media of a bunch of layoffs at different media institutions, uh, which is sad to see. 
but ad sales are down and we're kind of, I mean, honestly, if y'all want to help me, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter. It's ewerickson.substack.com. If you text data to 33777, uh, we're not going to get any more advertisers anytime soon. And we're kind of relying on people uh, subscribing at seven bucks a month. Uh, and just text data to 33777. In addition to getting all the COVID-19 links, you can subscribe to the newsletter because my goodness gracious, uh, it is, it's something. Uh, to, to see out there right now in the media landscape, the ad buys that are out there. And, you know, there's actually an interesting side effect of this. So there was an effort years ago to blackball Breitbart.com with advertisers and left-wing sites mobilized to censor Breitbart.com. They would harass any advertiser whose ads appeared on Breitbart.com. And essentially what happens is Breitbart put Google ads on, on their site. And if an advertiser wound up getting into the Google advertising uh, and it appeared on Breitbart, they would get harassed by left-wing people and they would have to go into Google and say, please don't run our ads on the site. And it was to financially hurt Breitbart.com. Well, one of the side effects of this is advertisers started using keywords and whatever the major topics were on a Breitbart site, they would put in and say, don't run our ads on sites using these words. And so it had a cascading effect to conservative media as a whole. The boycott of Breitbart started to hurt all conservative media outlets because uh, websites were ju- or uh, websites were just blocking keywords. Companies were blocking keywords. So if you were writing a lot about, say, Donald Trump, you would block that and and they could do algorithms to determine if you were pro or negative and so you block sites that are talking pro trump it would hurt conservatives well here's the problem now covid19 the wuhan virus the chinese coronavirus these phrases are sites that are being used by a lot of sites across the board left right and center and advertisers are blocking these keywords and as a result there's been a massive dip in advertising for a lot of companies that, that are web companies, a lot of media outlets, uh, and they're attributing it to this left-wing boycott of Breitbart.com. There, there's actually a big story out, I think, in, in the Columbia Journalism Review. One of the media sites out there has a big story on this, how left-wing media outlets are now having a major drop in ad revenue as they cover the coronavirus because companies are so fearful of the boycotters that they're blocking any website that uses a, that talks about COVID-19 because they're afraid it'll go to Breitbart and they're going to get boycotted. And it's blown up in the faces of these left-wing media outlets that for years were organizing boycotts of conservative sites. It's actually very, very funny, but it, it impacts us across the board. It impacts me at the resurgent. It impacts me here as well at this radio show. It impacts the station you're listening to right now. Uh, so please do consider supporting the local advertisers on your talk radio station. They are actually keeping us on air. Uh, and please do consider subscribing to the newsletter. It's $70 a year or seven bucks a month. And you do so by texting data to 33777. And you'll get back a very useful link to all the information about the coronavirus and the payroll protection plan and a link to First Liberty and our advertisers. But also you can subscribe and that helps us. And we'll be back tomorrow.